Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise the Lord. I love to hear the people of God socializing and loving on one another and greeting one another. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I hope some of what was, what was just moving back and forth up here made it all the way to the back seats. I hope everybody felt what was happening in worship. Amen. Bless you, Lord. Wonderful, wonderful worship this morning. Before I get started, and you can remain seated, I, I also want to say, I want to say thank you to everybody as well. Kyle did a good job, but everyone that showed up, we had, we had construction guys out there yesterday at Sister Tanya's house and families that showed up and people were cleaning and, and as he said, painting and doing all those things. But the, the, the greater thing I wanted to, sh- to, to just talk about is, first of all, I had asked for a small amount of money to help provide some of the supplies. Thank you to every soul that got up at greeting time, walked out to the foyer, and just gave and gave and gave a tremendous amount. I don't feel comfortable giving you the exact amount, but it was much, much, much more than $500. It's because it's Tanya's money now. And amen. That'll be up to her if she wants to reveal what that was, but, but uh, that, was allowed, that allowed uh, Matt and the family to go out and buy supplies and things like that and take care of all that needs to happen there. We got things going, and I so appreciate everybody that gave of their time as well. I know some folks were working here at the church, so I didn't want to skip that as well. We had a cleaning crew here led by Sister Robin Meyer, uh, and, and they came out, and they're working on the house and beautifying the, the, the trees and the shrubs and the windows and cleaning all this stuff. So thank you to that crew as well. I really appreciate that. I know uh, Brother Luke uh, Kutchenreiter is very serious about that, along with Sister uh, Meyer, very passionate about beautifying the church, and that's a great thing. And so I want to just... I just want to say thank you to everybody for that. And, and really that kind of leads into what I want to talk about today and what I'm going to lay down for you. I'm going to teach a little bit today. I, I, I just, I have to teach and what I have to teach today, I have to teach. God has put this on my heart for several weeks. I have prayed and fasted about this message for at least two months. Uh, we're at the time. It's now is the time. That's all I can tell you. And you'll understand as I go further in there. I've talked a lot lately about where God is taking the church and the expectations that he has for us, raising the bar, levels of excellence, doing this thing like we mean it. Are we switched on? Are we engaged? Are we really here for a purpose? What has he got for us to do? You've heard me say many times, he's taken us down the road. We've picked up the camp, see? We've picked up the tents and all the things and we've moved down the road. The pillars have gone down the road. And so God has led me to begin to talk about the things that we can shore up and we can make better. You've heard me preach about mercy and hope and joy and all these important attributes of the fruit of the spirit and the things that we can get better at. Can I, can anybody, can I get an amen? Can we get better at some things? Amen. There is nobody in this room that could stand to get better at things more than me. I'm just going to tell you that. And so I seek that every single day. And I seek what God's got for me. And so everything that I speak and I preach and I teach, I taught it to myself. I sat and I studied and I sought God. God, why have you laid this on my heart? What is it about me that I can get better? What can I do in order to make sure that I'm ready for the mission that you have for us ahead? Sister Vicki Oliver and my family and I got to go out for lunch after service on Sunday. She looked at me and she said, Brother Cordell, your church is on the verge of revival. Amen. Now that lady speaks, I can say that from her because she speaks prophecy. She said, your church is on the verge of revival. She was so impressed with the people that came out here on Friday night and Saturday night and on Sunday service and our worship, and she could feel the hearts of this congregation. She said she could feel the heartbeat of abundant life. Do you know what that does to me? Do you know what that says to me? My goodness, what an exciting time. And so today, I'm led to this place after all of that, and I'm just a rookie I've only been in the gig for about five weeks now. Did you know that? So I can see, I can say, well, I'm new. So if this messes up, I'm just new here. Nobody's buying that. Why is that? I got a right out of somebody. So today I want to talk to you about something that that I think God has led us through. And and I've, I've got some points that I've got to lay out for you. It relates to everything we've been talking about leading up to this and the expectation that God has for us. It's not an easy topic. 
It's not something that's easy to do, and it's going to be more of a teach than a preach. But literally, the, the title of my message today is Talk About Money. I'm going to talk about money. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about religion. No, that's, I'm just kidding. I'm going to talk about money. But I've got something that I believe that God has for us. I believe that God really, truly wants to take the people of our congregation and begin to bless them in ways that you did not know were possible. I believe that God wants to take the scarcity mentality of some of our lives, that scarcity mentality that says this is all I can ever achieve, this is all that's gonna ever happen. I'm always gonna come up just a little bit short. Every time I start getting ahead, something breaks down in the house. Or every time I start getting a little bit ways down the road, some medical bill comes. That's a scarcity mentality, the mentality that has told us, that says that I can't achieve anymore, I've hit the ceiling, and I'm always gonna be chasing that debt. I'm always gonna be chasing that one material problem. I believe that God wants to do something in this congregation and in this family that will revolutionize our minds and our thinking on this process. I believe that with the bottom of my heart today, I promise you, in Jesus' name. I've lived it a lot of my life, that scarcity mentality, that idea that, well, this is just how it is. I'm a lower middle class dude. I've struggled through life making decisions, bad ones, good ones, mostly bad. And, and, and I've struggled through some things. And then there's those things that happen to you that, that, that have nothing to do with you. Your insurance program at your job just doesn't have a very good payout, right? So you get into some sort of a medical arrangement and all of a sudden you've got $50,000 in medical bills. That's not your fault necessarily. But I believe that God does not want to see his people, his children, the princes and the princesses of his kingdom suffering and worrying and wondering and struggling through this process of what I'm going to do the next time something bad happens with my money. I believe that he wants to do something great. If you'll get a hold of this, and I'm going to give you some key principles, man, God just laid them right on me, blew me away at some points in prayer and study, sitting over the word, boom, and the things that he's laid on my heart. If you get a hold of these things today, if you don't look at this, and I'm going to say right now in the name of Jesus, devil, get out of people's heads right now. In the name of Jesus, I want any cynicism that's in here. In the name of Jesus, you're out of this place. Any cynicism about what well, Cordell's trying to pad his pay, I'm just going to tell you right now, the pastors don't take any additional pay over what they were set. If the tithes and offerings go up, if sacrificial giving goes up, we don't sit back there and start collecting percentages. Doesn't work like that. As a matter of fact, I didn't even set that number. That was done by some trusted men of our church and, and another, uh, an, another member of our district who was our leader and who guided us through that process. I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't even in the room, okay? In Jesus' name, cynicism, get out of this room. Devil, get out of the heads of the people that are sitting there thinking, well, you just want this all about money, right? I'm not gonna talk, I'm not gonna talk about the mortgage today. I don't care about the mortgage, throw it, out the, throw it out the door. From this day going forward, anything that we talk about, and I'm gonna talk about our capital campaign coming up, we are not gonna talk in terms of the concept of this mortgage. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is gonna pay this mortgage off. I don't care about it, we're not gonna talk about it, we're not gonna focus on it, it's not gonna be what we're gonna do. What we're gonna do is what, seek what God's got for us to do and the mission that he has ahead for us. Mission number one is we got to heal some things. We got to patch up some situations. We got to get some thinking fixed up up here and get people's households, get you in good shape. We got to get you doctored back up to where you need to be. If you lay at, 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 awake at night suffering and wondering what's going to happen tomorrow because finances are crushing you, because you're worried about debt, we're going to destroy that if you get a hold of what I'm going to talk to you about today. Okay? All right. Let's get into the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You can remain seated. I know we were standing for a while. I know that you honor the word of God, so today we'll, we'll just dive right on in. Came into this place this, today. I want, you to t- I want to tell you, leading up to this message, the devil got in my ear, the devil got in my head. They're not going to want to hear this. This church talk doesn't want to talk about this. This isn't the right time of the year. Thanksgiving and the holidays are coming up. He was all over all that stuff. Jesus stepped in and said, I'm above all of it. I'm above all of it. I can do things far above, greater than you could possibly expect. I'm above all of it. You preach it. 
I'm being obedient standing here today. I'm telling you today, if I do not do what God has asked me to do, I am in disobedience and I have failed you as a pastor. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2 simply says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. No need. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. It says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. That he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I want to tell you that financial problems, that financial stresses in your family will stop you from doing the work that God has got you to do. It will stop you from enjoying life. It will cause you to make decisions that in the long run will hurt you. It will mess with your mind. It's one of the greatest things that causes divorce and, and, and marital breakups in this country. It causes fights between, between uh, partners and businesses. It's a constant stress. And I'm telling you today, Jesus is promising all sufficiency in all things that you can abound to every good work. You can take care of your family better. You can take care of yourself better. The stress and the things that it puts on your body literally kills people. It, physiologically, the stress of money woes takes people down in their bodies. Jesus does not want that for any of you. He does not want it for me. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not prosperity doctrine. I'm not here to be Joel Olstein. okay? This is, not, this is not about, hey, everything's going to be great and we're all going to be rich and famous. This is not what I'm doing. I am laying the groundwork of principle just as much as I laid it down for why we need mercy amongst one another. And when I laid it down that we've got to get a hold of what hope is and we have to hold strong to the hope. And when I talked about joy and how joy is your strength and if you don't have joy in your life, the devil's going to get a hold of you. You won't have the strength to resist. This is the same principle. It's even more powerful than those, I believe. When Jesus had the opportunity, he had the opportunity amongst all of his biographers, if you will, the men in, that wrote the gospel, when he had the opportunity to identify for you and me the thing that could possibly become the worst thing between he and, and, he, excuse me, between he and us, when he had that opportunity, what did he talk about? What did he say? What did he identify as our greatest competition for his affections and for his obedience? He said that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon does not directly translate as money. Mammon really is a God other than God. But we're constantly drawn. The flesh is drawn into that battle every single day to serve mammon, serve something else, serve our interests, serve our fun, serve, serve our job, serve other things. But he had the opportunity. He didn't say sin. He didn't say the biggest thing was going to be sin or flesh or self. He didn't say that. He said mammon. And folks, we need to understand and get this down in your hearts today that when we begin to see money as the source of our happiness rather than God, when we begin to see money as the solver of problems and not God, that's when money becomes mammon. We cannot make it the God that's going to take care of our problems. You have to understand it today. When we begin to serve mammon, it becomes a divider between our heart and God's. First Chronicles 29 and 11 says to us, and it tells us, all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine, O Lord. Everything belongs to him, everything, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. The fact of the matter is if everything that belongs to God, it's impossible to separate how 
I handle what I have, money, possessions, things, our stuff. It's impossible to separate, separate those things and how I handle them from my relationship with him because it all belongs to him. We can't divorce those two points. Do you understand? It's why money has the ability to create a distance or a problem between man and God. Because we think those possessions belong to us. We think all this bounty we have belongs to us. It doesn't. Well, that's fine, Brother Coral. Isn't that just a wonderful thought? Everything's God's. Well, he's not. He's the spirit, and he doesn't own a car, and he doesn't have fine clothing. I get that. But follow me on this. And I want you to understand, God's not trying to get your money. God doesn't need your money. You know that, right? God doesn't need my money. We could be standing on a dirt pile in a cornfield holding this service and accomplish the same thing. He doesn't need your money and my money. But that's not what it's about. He's trying to keep my money and your money from getting you. You see what I'm saying? It's not about taking your money from you. It's not about getting your cash. It's about your cash getting you. It's about what money and possessions and ownership can actually do to you in separating you from what God has for you. And you say, well, Brother Cordell, I've got good stuff and I'm, I'm doing just fine. God's blessing me. I don't think we have a clue what God could possibly do if we really got a hold of these things. That glass ceiling scarcity mentality. We've hit the top. Well, we're content. We'll get along with what we've got. The struggle of life. But see, God's built a plan into his word. They're commands, they're guidelines, they're ordinance. It's plain. It's very precise. It's not fuzzy. There's no ambiguity there in what his expectations are, how he talks about and how he feels about our possessions. It's not ambiguous at all. As a matter of fact, those plans are the methodology where we can free ourselves from the snares of materialism and monetary wealth. See, by acknowledging his ownership, by honoring him, and returning to him what is his portion, which is the tithe, by the way. I am talking about the magical T word that a lot of people don't like to talk about out loud. While at the same time, he promises us opening the windows of heaven and pouring out more than we could possibly consume or hold. You see, he doesn't just throw it out there. Give me some of what's mine and, okay, we'll be good. He's willing and ready to take that, that sacrifice and take that contribution and take that heart-based movement and, and pour out more than you could possibly ever want. I'm standing here today to tell you I'm not perfect at this in any way, shape, or form. I really have messed up at times with that type of thing. But I'm getting better, and I've been a lot better for a few years. But I can attest to you personally, I have lived this. Brother Rich Thomas has a famous saying. He says, one man's experience far outweighs by 100 miles one man's academic knowledge. I have experienced this. I can tell you that we, we live very, very, very well in comparison to seven-eighths of the planet. I have a modest home. I love it. It's a great little home. We don't have rich, lavish things, but we have all the things that matter in life and God has poured out blessing upon blessing. And do you know why? It's not because he's given us whole tons and tons of money. That's not the point. But what he's done is he's blessed what we've done with what we've had because it didn't become between he and us. You see, the little bit we did have, he's turned into magnificent amounts of more. In other words, you ever had that situation where something goes wrong and, and you think, oh my goodness, this is going to cost me a fortune and some friend pops up and says, oh hey, I can fix that for you. Give me 50 bucks and I got it taken care of. Right? Or you're expecting to go to, to the auto repair place and, 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 and it's going to be $5,000 and blah, 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 blah. And you find something on YouTube and it's a $28 switch that you can buy down at AutoZone. And you go, wow, that's amazing. How did I find out about that? That sounds silly. I know it's dumb, but that's God. That's God working in your life saying, I could have cost you $5,000, but if, you're, if your money is blessed and you're doing it the right way, you're going to get those little secrets and tips. People are going to pop up in your life and say, oh, don't do that. One of my sons accidentally dunked my outboard motor in the lake up north, duck hunting. 1976 Johnson Seahorse, 25 horsepower. 
runs like a champ. Hit a log, boop, right off the transom into the water. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe what people were quoting the cost to fix that. Well, I happen to be good friends with a pastor down in Muskego who I know works on lawnmowers and things like that. We were in conversation on the phone the other day. <laughs> Somehow he brought it up that he knows we duck hunt. He said, hey, how's the duck hunting going? I said, oh, I'm not going to be doing too much now. My motor jumped in the water. He said, oh, don't take it in anywhere. I do that work. He's going to let me do it for 50 bucks. You see, what, and I know that's a silly example, but I've, I've, this is one of thousands of examples of this. See, our, 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 our finances can be blessed or cursed. I think it's really important to acknowledge this, and some people will reject this thought entirely. They'll just completely reject this thought, but Proverbs chapter 3 says, my son, do not forget my teachings. Prolong, it'll prolong your life. It'll bring you peace and prosperity. Your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will be overflowing. Peace, honor the Lord with thy substance, not just my heart. It's not just heart, it's substance. It's what you have if you honor God. But it says, with the first fruits of all thine increase. Your finances can be cursed, I'm sorry. If you're out of line with God's plan, if you're out of line with those principles, things can happen. God will allow things to happen in your life. Maybe that pastor from Muskego doesn't pop up and offer you that deal. Now you're spending five, $600 to get that fixed. Or maybe something happens in your car and it breaks down. I'm not saying God's out there shooting holes in your tires on you and things like that, but you can be out from underneath that umbrella of blessing. And those things that pop up that make your money go a whole lot further aren't gonna pop up. Maybe someone in this room is experiencing it right now. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe you don't realize you never thought it that way before. Why do I struggle all the time? Why does everything keep breaking? Why do things go on? I remember one time I had to go down to a meeting. I had my wife's little Honda car, and I had to run down to a meeting uh, somewhere down in Big Bend or something like that, and, and uh, well, the meeting ended up going really, really, really late, and I was already just running on fumes. I mean vapors, like there's the E, and then there's that, that weird space past the E, and you're like, how is the needle there, and I'm still moving? You ever have that? I had it in college all the time. I was always <laughs> put in a dollar, you know, and just right back in there. So, so I, this meeting's going on and on, because and I was just going to stop at a gas station after the meeting. I thought, well, i got to get down there. I'm running late. And, uh, and, and so I get there, and I get to the meeting, and it's at 8 o'clock. Well, pretty soon it's 10 o'clock. Pretty soon it's midnight. Pretty soon it's 1 a.m. Now it's 2 a.m. I mean, this thing just went forever. It was a very important meeting I needed to attend. It just went forever. And now I'm sitting there going, oh, boy, what in the world's going to be open at 2 o'clock in the morning? I'm down in Podunk, Big Bend, or wherever I was down in, down in the woods down there. I got out in the car and I began to drive. Well, it's probably a 40-minute drive back home. And the E is here. And I'm driving the whole time going, Jesus, I knew you could keep those soles in the bottoms of those Israelite shoes, buddy. I mean, come on, Jesus. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I barely know where I'm at. Do you know that I made that entire drive all the way home? I, just, I was certain in my mind I was going to run out of gas. To this day, I cannot explain how I made 40 miles below E. And that car gets good gas mileage, but I'm, I'm past reserve. I mean, I was riding that below E for a while before I got there. Do you see what I'm saying? But I just prayed, and I said, God, give me some Israelite shoes, man. I need some help. And he got me all the way there. But we can have blessed finances and cursed finances. See, blessings, those types of blessings follow behavior. If you follow principle in scripture, if you look at, you just read what happens, where those blessings came, it followed behavior. It followed obedience to God's word. It followed obedience to the prophets. If they were obeying and doing what they were saying, these types of blessings came. Their shoes did last forever. Water came out of rocks. Manna came from heaven. Man, talk about manna from heaven. I can't even tell you how many times my wife and I coming up as young couples and stuff would just come out of nowhere like manna from heaven. See, the word says, and Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, this is more than just an academic thing. It's more than a law thing. It's more than, a, it's more than an instruction. It's about your heart. And if there's anything that God cares more about 
than anything else. It's the condition of your heart. It is about your heart. He talks about taking no thought for what you should eat, the fowls of the air, etc. Are you not that much better? Do you mean to tell me that God's going to let the birds eat out in the field, but he's going to let you starve? Sometimes to, to do these principles, you have to start planting the seed. See, And maybe if you haven't done them yet, or if, and I'm going to get in a little bit further now, so just hang in with me, but I'm going to get a little further. But if you haven't planted those seeds quite, quite as well as you could have, and you start, well, that corn's not going to pop out of the ground tomorrow. It's going to take time. But if you're like my wife and I, there was a place in our walk where we had sort of that transmission change, that gear change. When things flipped over, we were being taught this principle in the Word and in our church, and we began to live it, and we began to do the best we could to try to get those seeds in the ground, and they didn't come up right away. It didn't just suddenly pop up, boom, all right, there it is, God's pouring blessings out. Don't expect to put 50 bucks in the can today, and tomorrow, all of a sudden, you got a new car. It doesn't work that way. But if you put your heart to it, if you make that designation, if you say to yourself, I'm going to start living this principle, I'm going to start putting these seeds in the ground. See, just a little while down the road, those seeds are going to start coming out of the ground. They're going to start producing for you. This is not prosperity doctrine. This is the word of God. This is how God designed it. Because the beauty of it is if you keep doing that, and as the seeds are coming up, you know what comes up in a, in a kernel of corn? A whole lot more seed. You see what I'm saying? Because also, poof. Now you got more seed to put in the ground, and you got other things to do, and people show up at your house on a Saturday morning and take care of all these huge problems, and, and they, they give of themselves. Every person that was there yesterday at Tanya's place is going to be blessed mightily for the seed they put in the ground, giving of their time. Every one of you that sacrificed and gave money last week, that's a seed in the ground. But a little bit further down the road, see, that gets a lot easier. And those seeds keep coming. And they keep on coming. And pretty soon you can live a bountiful life. I, folks, I want to tell you one of my missions in life, one of my personal goals, I have it written down. What is my why? What do I want to be able to do in life as a pastor besides helping everybody I can to find the Lord? I want to be able to write the check. You understand? I want to be able to write the check. I pray it to God that way. God, when the church needs something, something goes down and we need a bunch of money, I want to be able to pull that checkbook out and write it and throw it. Plant some seed. I want to be able to bountifully bless. When something like happens, when, when we, we had a call for a need last week, it gave me joy to sit down, go in my office and sit down and write that check. Because I know God's going to bless it. God's going to bless that family. We're going to take care of her. We're doing what the Bible said. She's not a widow, but it's the same thing. Single mom with four kids left alone to take care of all that. You see what I'm saying? I hope it's resonating. The devil back in this place? Anybody feeling cynicism? It's all about money. They're just asking another church, asking for money. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Get out of this place. Devil, you're not going to stop these people from getting a hold of this. You're not going to stop this principle from getting into their hearts. In Jesus' name, these families are going to be blessed if they get a hold of this. Devil, you've got no place in my church. Where the Bible says where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. He's telling us. It's determining where your heart is. It's not just an indication. It's a determination of where my heart is going to be. If all of my treasure is in one certain place, if it's in possessions and things and, and my personal joys and my selfishness, that is where my heart will be. That is not Pastor Cordell's opinion. That is not some idea somebody floated in a book that goes to a church someplace else. That is the word of God. That principle is a law just as much as I took this Bible and held it up and dropped it and gravity took it to the floor. That is law. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Well, I saw a whole bunch of people take their treasure and just give it last week and yesterday. That's where their heart is. When they wrote that check and said, I want to help this young lady, that's where their heart is. God saw that. When they showed up yesterday here to work on the church and help clean things up and do wonderful things to make our church look nice, that's where their heart is. See, their, their church is their heart. Now, listen, I understand some people were working, you had other obligations and all that stuff. I am not attacking people who could not be here yesterday. That's not what this is about. 
You understand this is principle I'm giving you, okay? So please do not feel offended if you were not part of either of these two groups. It's simply principle. Finances can be cursed or they can be blessed. Look at Laban. Laban changed Jacob's wages 10 times, trying to confound him. Remember when he was trying to get the the cute one over the not-so-cute one? You can go back and read that one. Ten times he changes wages. God still prospered him. How about the widow of Zarephath in in 1 Kings? She had enough oil for her and her son and flour for her and her son to eat and die. And what did she do? She gave it to the man of God. God turns around and says, your oil will never run out. Your flour will never be spent for that one simple act. And God blessed that sacrifice. See, if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. That's just the way some people feel. They're a little afraid. They don't prioritize it. Well, I'll give a little, I'll give a little, I'll give a little. Okay, well, you'll reap a little, you'll reap a little. Because a little bit of seed in the ground is going to generate a little bit of stuff. If my possessions are cursed, there is no amount of financial savvy, fancy bookwork, fine CPA accounting that is going to help that. You'll spend it out. You'll struggle in debt. You'll spend it out. You'll continue to go that cycle all the time. God will allow that to happen. It's simply a fact. There's powerful statements in the book of Malachi. Malachi 3 is the one that often people go to. By the way, we're going to talk in just a second. I got a little time yet. We're going to talk in just a little second about some thoughts about whether this is old law or this is that kind of stuff. There's things that we hear about giving. And by the way, if you disagree with me on any of this, if we have a disagreement on something, if this isn't the way you feel, this isn't your doctrine, it does not make us mortal enemies. You're welcome here. I want you to be here. I want you to be here because I believe God's going to change your heart and he's going to bless you mightily. But it doesn't make us enemies if you don't agree with this. But I can tell you, I'm going to live on the safe side of what I'm reading in the Word of God. And you can walk that fine line of where you feel your doctrine falls, okay? And you'll never see me approach you. I'm never going to attack somebody and come up and say, hey, I noticed that this... Nope, not going to do it. That's God's job. I'm doing my job right now. So Malachi chapter 3 talks about the devourer, talking about cursed finances. It's possible... Apparently, for some spiritual force to exist that can be released that can devour your finances or devour your blessings. Remember, blessings follow behavior. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3. We're going to go verse 7 through 11. Malachi 3, verse 7 says, Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances. Now, this is the prophet Malachi. He's coming down on the Israelites. They drift away from all this stuff. And, of course, they failed in every way several times throughout the Old, Old Testament. You've gone away from my ordinance, have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. If you come back and start doing things right, I'll come back to you. I'll bless you. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Look at verse 9 now. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. He literally says, prove me. Give it a shot. Try me. If you don't believe me, try it. And I'm going to have a challenge for you at the end of this message. But God himself said it right there. Prove me. You don't believe it can happen? Show me where I'm wrong. I will not op- I will, if I will not open you all the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be not enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. He's simply saying, prove me, and I'll make that gas in your car last a little bit longer than it should have. Prove me, and I'll keep those tires with some tread on it. 
Prove me and I'll keep your investments working well for you. I'll keep your business getting opportunities and leads. Prove me. He says it. Well, man, I don't know about you, but I like to take a challenge. Okay, God. I took that challenge. Malachi says literally that we're robbing God. When I do not give God his portion, when I don't honor God with what I have, he doesn't call it an oversight. He doesn't say, well, okay, you got a different idea, your philosophy is a little different. He calls it robbing him. And it's not just a tithe, by the way. It says tithe and offering. That's significant. You know that tithe means a tenth. They are challenged in this scripture to bring all the tithes to the storehouse and then again God says, prove me. Try me to see if I don't pour out from the windows of heaven blessings that you will not have enough room to receive. How many of us have really taken that challenge? Have really put it to the test? You brought your tithes, but then you brought your offerings and then you brought your sacrificial giving and you stuck with it and you stayed with it and you kept planting those seeds. See, because... The planting and the harvest is a cyclical thing, right? You plant some seed, you wait a little while, the plant comes up. Hey, look, God this, did this awesome thing for me. And then you kind of, if you wane, well, I'm not going to plant as much seed now because I'm pretty comfortable and I'm fat and happy and sassy and I've got what I need. And pretty soon, that stuff starts to disappear. You know, oh, well, I better tithe again. I better start getting, is there, who can I bless? What can I do? Start putting the seed in the ground. See, it's a cyclical thing. But what I'm telling you is if you get up on the ramp and you get on going, you're not ever going to worry about whether you should give this this month or not or whether you should t- give a little bit more here. You're just going to say, where can I give? Where can I write a check? Who's got a need? You see what I'm saying? And there's joy in that. There's excitement in that. To be able to sit down and reach in your pocket and whip out that certain bill and throw it in that thing, say, yes, I want to help out. I want to do what I can. I want to see my church improve. Folks, we've got big plans here. We've got big plans. I want to do things that are going to impact our visitors. I read a book uh, called Simple Church. It talked about the improvements and growth of church. And the guy said in the book, he said, you know, I can walk into any church in America and I can tell by sight, sound, or smell when that church stopped growing. He said, I can take a look around. He says, if I see decor from 1982, he goes, I know that's when the church stopped growing. If I smell that crazy, musty smell and that kind of that sort of dampness and everything, that church stopped growing in 1968. If I hear music from Wow Worship 2002, guess what? That's when that church stopped growing. I don't want to be a rock star place. I don't want to be a nightclub. I don't want to try to chase what the world is doing in all these big time churches. But what I want to do is when people come in here, I want people to get that sense. I want them to feel this is a powerful church and it's growing and they're doing well. Do you want to look like a suffering mule laying on the side of the road to people? Wow, they must not be doing too good. They must not have God in this place. They're all suffering. Place is falling apart. Their stuff is dated. I don't want that we got to take care of the house, and I can get into a whole other sermon about what it is to take care of the house of God. And I'm thankful, by the way, for the many people in this room that step up and do things. I talked about the lighting we have, thanks to Brother Carini and what Brother James Bigley does to take care of this place, and all the things that this needs, light bulbs and toilet paper and carpet fixes and things with the baptismal and all those things. Do you know that we want to take this baptismal? It's rotting. Do you know that? It's rotting from the inside out. There's mold, black mold back there. It's coming apart. We want to take the whole thing down. We want to move it right where that pew is under that screen. You know why? Because when we want to take the closet where people do the changing, let them step right down into it. Wouldn't that be awesome? The other thing it'll do is it'll clear a ton of space on our platform. Get our musicians up here, spread out a little bit. Costs money to do that. Takes effort to do that. Our video system, I've talked about it many times. These things conk out on a regular basis. They're old and outdated. James is keeping them going. Shoestring, stick of gum, and a little bit of coat hanger wire or something. We can do it. We can do it. But it just takes a concerted effort. It takes a belief that if we begin to bless the house of God, trust me, I promise you, I'm not cutting a percentage out of this deal. Brother Cordell's not going to be driving a Bentley in a couple of months. That's not my objective whatsoever at all, Okay. I jest, but just in case the devil tried sneaking in that door over there. This is not old law, by the way. I want you to get a hold of that, too. This, I've heard this before. Well, that's old law. That's Malachi's the old law. Oh, no, no, no. See, this, this principle of giving, 
is not some antiquated old thought from the law that was supplanted by grace when Jesus came. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. And you know how I know that we're still kind of under the law? The parts of the law that don't include killing animals and and, and sacrificing them at the door? Why we still are under the old, you know, the old Ten Commandments. Remember that? That was in the Old Testament, right? But you know how I know? Because Jesus said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. See, we're under the law and plus some. He said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. See, in the old law, you just committed murder, you committed murder. Now, Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder already. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. Seems to me that grace has brought a little bit of a upgrade to what God's expectations are, and that's really the truth. The law was sort of a cap. It was just sort of the minimal that we could achieve, and the Israelites couldn't even do that. So they had to have grace. Well, grace stepped in and said, okay, I'm going to forgive all these sins. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to do all of this for you. I'm going to hang on that cross and bleed and die so that you have grace and you have abundance and you'll have life and life more abundantly. But you know what? I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. There's a little bit more I'm going to expect out of you for that. No, you don't have to kill animals and stone your kids when they're bad and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Thankfully. I was over there thinking, yeah, that's good. (laughs) You know that the tithe was mentioned specifically and taught by, with respect to Abraham and Jacob, three or four hundred years before the law was written? The tithe is not a law concept. Hundreds of years before the law was written, they were teaching the tithe. It's recorded as being practiced in antiquity over 2,000 years before Christ. Babylon, the Chaldeans, Greeks, Romans, Sicilians, Saxons, Gauls, all had tithing in their, in their society. That's not law. That's not old law. It's existed for centuries. And it's a principle that God put in the word. And so I don't need to know that all of those other societies did it. And I don't really care because you know what? It's in the word of God. And that's good enough for me. And that's what I'm going to follow. It's not some some old antiquated thing supplanted by grace. Moses actually taught it as reverence. reverence. By the way, when Malachi was talking to the Israelites, none of that was news to him. When when he was chastising them about their tithing, they didn't suddenly go, oh, I, I didn't know anything about this. Moses was teaching it hundreds of years earlier. Centuries earlier, he warned them in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, be sure to set aside a tenth of all of your field's produce every year. Why? So that you may learn to revere your God. By giving this way, you're showing reverence to God, a reverence that he expects. It's not just one of the reverence options. Well, I'll revere God by just saying praise the Lord a lot. And and I don't necessarily want to follow that. But I'll revere God by singing praises. And I'll revere God by wearing my clothes the right way and saying good words. No, no, no. This was one of the revere God things that was expected as well. It was taught. Moses told Israel that I tithe to God so that I will learn to revere him. Again, it's a heart issue. It was a means by which the people learned to give his proper place in their heart. The tithe was not an end in itself at all. It was a means to an end. It was a means to an end that you could relearn to revere God. The tithe is also a test. We know that tithe means tenth, okay? But the church didn't establish that. I didn't write it. Forefathers didn't write that down. It's been with God from from the beginning. And it's a tithe or a tenth of all of our increase. Perhaps you don't know this, but the number 10 in Scripture is the number of testing. Did you know that? You know, numbers are very significant in the Word of God. The number six, as you know, is the number of man, right? Man was created on the sixth day. The man who's going to come, the man of perdition, his number is 603 score and six, right? The number seven is very significant to God. It's God's number. It's the number of, per, of perfection, right? Well, the number 10 is the, the number of testing. That's why God chose 10. Tenth? Somebody said, well, it's just easy math. That's why God chose it. He knew we'd struggle. Your tithes shall be seven and a quarter percent. Oh. Got to get off the abacus. 
move the rocks. There's some, some good attitudes in the room still. I'm glad to hear that. Ten is a number of testing. There were ten plagues in Egypt. Pharaoh's heart was tested ten times. There are ten commandments. Ten times Jacob's wages were changed. I meant that earlier. said that earlier. Excuse me. Ten days Daniel was tested eating pulse and water. Ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Ten days of testing in Revelation 2 and 10. And God's not hiding this deal. This is not, this is not a hidden thing. Tithing tests us. Right? I want to tell you there were days when I knew that the checking account was down really, really low. You want to talk about a test? Sit there and look at the balance and the register right above the check and go, oh, maybe I could just do a little bit this week and make it up next week. It's a test. It's a test for you to say, can you do it? Do you believe God's word? Do you trust him? Do you believe that he can say what he said? Do you believe that if you write that check, something is going to happen and God's going to take care of it for you? Well, I'm going to confess to you here right now. I'm going to tell you that there was a period of time before the seeds were starting to come up in the ground that my finances were cursed. And so there were several times in in the course of life, I remember the tithe check bottoming out my checking account, literally causing me fees and charges at the bank. Man, does that sting. I hate that. But I wrote it anyway because I was planting a seed. See, the seed didn't come up that week. Something magical and miracle didn't happen, and my my checking account bottomed out until my next payday. And that hurt, because I was paying my bills first, and then I was writing the check at the end. You see, but as I got to get a hold of that, and I started doing it the right way, I want to tell you, there were times it was still a test. There were times it was still a test. There was a very large four-figure check that I owed the church in my back tithes. I'd gotten into some trouble with some, some medical bills, and we got really behind, and I remember thinking, oh, man, this is terrible, and I wrote this check. I couldn't go any further. I knew God was pressing me. You've got to give this back to the church. Four figures worth of tithing. I wrote that check. check. I'm not kidding you. Monday morning, Monday morning, a rebate check from my insurance company shows up from a claim that we had put in that they decided, well, it was over a certain level amount and we've decided to refund this back to you. The exact amount of the check that I wrote the day before. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You've heard the story many times of, of the lawsuit that we got messed up in when my job transferred up north and some people sold us a house and lied and the whole thing was a mess and we lost thousands and thousands of dollars in, in legal fees and we had $40,000 of interest backed up on a bridge loan that they're, they're, they're coming down on us. Destroyed our credit. Just, I mean, it was horrible what we were going through. The attorney fees and everything. I won't go through that whole long story again. You can call me up tomorrow and ask me about it. But I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, God brought us back home here, completely restored us in all of that cash. The bank, the the attorney working with us, countersued the bank because they did things improperly, went back, countersued them, they wiped out the entire $40,000, and they expunged our credit, completely expunged our credit. That is God Almighty blessing our situation. He made us whole. I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars, folks. And he made us whole. That was 10 years ago. And we just kept on giving. Because that's what we were taught to do. We believed that principle. We were going to take that test and we were going to pass that test. And I'm going to tell you from now until the day I die, I'm going to pass that test every time I write that check. Because that's my goal. I want to write that check. I want to be able to write it nice and big. I want to give and I want to give and I want to give as much as I possibly can. If you get a hold of this, God will do things like that for you as well. I'm winding down here, folks. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, King Hezekiah brought religious reform to Israel. I, I sort of hinted on this last week. I was giving you a little sneak peek. He had come into Israel. He tore down all the images that they'd set up, all the high places, all these high worships, these other gods that they had put up. He tore all that stuff down, tore down the groves, read about Hezekiah. He's awesome. But he was bringing faith back to Israel. He was bringing back these principles that God had taught, that he had come up with, that he knew that were right. And although that they were in a recession, Hezekiah issued a command for everyone to bring the tithe to the house of Lord. 
Now, this is the king, okay? I'm no king. I can't force you to do anything, but this was the king of Israel put a command out to the Israelites and said, you bring your tithe to the house of God. Now, he'd already torn down all these high places. He'd done all these wonderful things. And so what was happening is that Israel was in revival. Folks, are we in revival right now? Are you feeling the things that God is doing? Are you seeing what God is doing in our church, the direction that he's taken us? Are you seeing it? Anybody? Are you sure? Seem kind of not so sure. But he created this revival, and so the people's hearts were already changing. And so he put this, as the commandment circulated, Israel brought their first fruits abundantly. See, they didn't just bring that 10%. They didn't carve it out right there and say, well, let's see, my check this week was $510.28, so I'm going to give $51.20. Well, I'll give that extra penny. I'll round up because God needs that. I'll round that other penny up there. That's not what they were doing. They were giving abundantly. And he laid them in God's house in heaps. It took four months in order for all this to come in. They were bringing so much to the point that Hezekiah came to review it. He looked at his, 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 uh, his servant, Azariah, the priest, and he said, holy cow, this is a lot of stuff. He started to worry about the people of Israel. What are they doing? They're giving too much. And Azariah looked at him and said, well, hold on there, king. You should see what the 90% looks like. See, sometimes we operate in a pie that's just this big and we're afraid to carve it up in certain pieces and what God's saying is, I can make the pie bigger. I can make your pie a whole lot bigger. So you have the ability to give a little bit more. You know what? To a poor person and a rich person, a gallon of milk still costs the same amount. Did you know that? You know that if I made $150,000 a year that a gallon of milk still costs about three bucks? A gallon of gas costs $249, $315, $482, or whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? God wants to bless you richly and abundantly above that marginal line of just being able to make it, just scratching by, just walking through life, just sort of struggling, waiting for the next disaster to happen. Because for that person that's got a bigger piece of pie, if something happens, he can carve that out of something else that he can get. If you want a larger pie, you got to be a giver. You got to start seeking God on how to sacrificially give. What can I do, God, to give to your kingdom? Yeah, I'll carve out my $51.28, 29 cents because I rounded up. But what can I do beyond that? Because Malachi 3 said, You robbed me of your tithes and offerings. He's got an expectation for us, doesn't he? Leviticus 27 and 30 says, all the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It's holy unto the Lord. It's a tenth of our increase. A tithe is 10%. It's just, as I said before, easy math. It's just a starting place. Well, this is old law. This is Old Testament. This is all, that's all old stuff. That doesn't have anything wrong. Jesus spoke of the tithe. Matthew 23 and 11 and Luke 11, Jesus chastened the Pharisees. He said, woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue. You're cooking spices, insignificant things. You pass over judgment and love and all the things that God really wants you to do. He says, these things you ought to have done. They were already an obligation. You didn't wow me or surprise me or make me impressed because you gave your tithe. That's what you were supposed to do. You're cooking spices, these insignificant things. But he said, you've passed up the greater things of the law. You're not doing enough. You've left it undone. Folks, just tithing will not save you, by the way. This is not the way that you ticket your your way into heaven. Money cannot save us. But I want to tell you today, you need to understand this, and this is from God himself. It may not save you, but it apparently can keep you from being saved. Your money can take you down. And I'll show you what I mean by that. In Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus was likened unto Melchizedek. Remember the priest Melchizedek? The Bible said that he had no beginning and no ending of days. No mother and no father. He just appeared somewhere in Genesis 14. And what was he doing at the time? He was accepting the tithes from Abraham. So Hebrews chapter 7 says, this is Jesus. This is a type and shadow of Jesus. You can read it. It says it right in there. Jesus is the type and shadow of Melchizedek. So one could take that a little bit further and say Jesus appeared in the Old Testament before Abraham. That God appeared before Abraham. Abraham, in the form of this priest that came from nowhere named Melchizedek and started accepting tithes. Don't tell me that Jesus doesn't understand and expect the principle of tithing. 
Now, there are scriptures, you read it, I read it at the beginning, Paul talking to the Corinthians, there are scriptures that talk about giving abundantly of your own giving beyond that. What I'm here to tell you is that the law was the cap, the law was the thing that said you have to get up to this place, but grace told us that we can get so much more above that. It's the same principle when you look at New Testament. So not only are you not constrained by just 10%, you are encouraged to be above and abundant and exceedingly more, right? Why not? He he promises us life in abundance, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Why wouldn't we do it? If you believe him, if you believe those principles, if you believe that God can do it, if you prove him, prove him that he can do it. Try him, test him. Did you know that four times, excuse me, there's four times as much in the ministry of Jesus about your possessions and what you do with them than about heaven, hell, and salvation combined. Four times. Did you know that 16 of 38 parables are about what you have, what you own? One out of every 10 verses in the New Testament concerns with what we have and what we do with it. Tell me that money and possessions cannot endanger our souls. Tell me it's not important to Jesus. Finally, last point. I want to talk about first fruits, and I'm wrapping it up real fast. It's just not about what we return to God. It's not just about when or what part, at what time. Everywhere it's mentioned, it's said to be our first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and when the first fruits of thine increase, so shall thine barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Remember I told you it was a heart issue. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. But it's always about first fruits. First fruits means that I've honored God with the source of my, of my abundance. Not the leftovers, not the pieces that came after I paid my bills. I made that mistake. Do you understand? First fruits says I'm honoring God with where the money's coming from, where it starts out from. You get it? Look at the first in scripture. I'll read them real fast. Matthew chapter five. First, be reconciled to your brother. Matthew six, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Matthew seven, first, get the beam out of your own eye before you get the thing in mind. Matthew 22 says, talks about the first great commandment. Matthew 23, cleanse the middle inside of the vessel first. Second Corinthians eight, first, they gave of themselves. First Timothy two, first, there should be supplications, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving. The Bible says, honor the Lord with thy substance and thy first fruits of all thine increase. Exodus 22, thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy fruits. Exodus 23 and 34, the first of the fruits of the land shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Leviticus 23, thou shalt bring out thine inhabitation the first fruits unto the Lord. It isn't about what or what part or when or how. It's about what's first in your life. When I give God, and you got to get this piece if you didn't get anything else out of today. When I give God what is first. When I give God what is first, it sanctifies the rest. And you got to understand that today. It sanctifies everything else. You want to struggle in life, do it backwards. Do it backwards. Give him what's left over. Give him what trails. Give him what you threw, decide today to throw in there, the lint in the bottom of your pocket, whatever it is. But if you want to follow that principle, sanctify the rest by giving him what's first. Tithings and offerings are the start. They're not the end. And this is where I'm, I'm literally wrapping. Tithing is where we start. It's where giving starts. It's not the end. It's our obligation, in my opinion. And I told you before, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not challenging you. There are circumstances. There are things I understand. You're welcome to talk to me. Have a conversation. I'll never criticize you, tear you up. But I know today that every person in this room has heard the principle from me and heard what God has given me to give to you, and now you know. See, now the obligation is no longer mine. It's not on me now. Now it's on you. Okay? So... Somebody comes knocking on the door of my office. Oh, Brother Cordell, we're in a real mess situation. Here's the financial problem we're having, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm going to do? Am I going to chastise you? Am I going to pull out the tithe records and say, see, well, here's why you're having the problem. No. If you've known me longer than five minutes, you know I would never do something like that. What I will do is I'll say, hey, brother and sis, come on, let's sit down. Let's talk about where you're at. Let's talk about why this is the way it is and what we can do to change it. What can I do to help you? Get the bounty and the blessing and the power that God has given me in my life. 
watching my children healed from unbelievable things that, I, that were certain to kill them, watching my finances take care of things. Talk about the money never coming out, never rolling out, the oil never running out. Brother Steve, every time I need something, it just seems like God just rolls in the situation. Somehow the two pieces come together and the need is met. I don't know, I can't understand it, I can't totally explain it, but all I know is that I try to live this principle every single day of my life and I plant those seeds in the ground and I do everything I can to give, not just monetarily, but of myself and, and of people that I know and, and try to spread the word and the gospel and do the things of the kingdom that I know to do. And all I can tell you, all I can say to you is if you're struggling, if that's a problem for you, live the example. Look at the word. I can give you my testimony. And then prove him. Prove him. Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, that entire passage, that entire scripture, Matthew 6, is all about alms. Sacrificial giving to the poor and to other needs. How the church uses those special offerings to further the kingdom. We did it this weekend. We took your alms and we blessed a family. I want you to know that every single penny went to that family. Church doesn't keep a percentage of that. That's not our money. That was your alms to them. That will always be the case. But alms are that sacrificial level. It's not tithes, it's not offerings, it's alms. You can read Matthew 6 on your own. I'm not going to do it today. But I'm leaving this with you this morning. And we're going to have a little bit more teaching this month. We're going to, we're going to be talking about a season of giving and a season of blessings. And the reason is that we're laying the groundwork for our new, what we would used to call our capital campaign. Now, I promised you earlier, this is not going to be about mortgage. I'm not going to ask you to step up. That's never even going to be in the vocabulary. God will provide for that. We'll take care of it. I've got a great board of trustees and a great board of pastors. We work on all that stuff. We'll take care of it. God's going to take care of it. I promise you that. This will never be the discussion. But we're going to launch a capital campaign. We're going to call it the Promise Project, as in Acts 2.39. This promises to you and to your children and all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, because it's going to be based and focused and prayed over so that the purpose of it is about reaching souls and bringing people into this house, bringing people into your homes, helping people teach Bible studies, get the materials that they need. I promise you that if you get a hold of this capital campaign, you will become an investor in the kingdom. You will become an almsgiver that you will know that that money is going to specific things. You know why? Because you're going to see things appear in the sanctuary. You're going to see new families show up. You're going to see families who didn't have the wherewithal maybe to get all the Bible study materials going into classes and learning how to teach. I promise you that if you get a hold of this thing and you decide to sacrificially give, you will be an investor in the kingdom of God and God will bless you. So that teaching is coming. You can stand this morning. I know I've kept you for a long time. I hope you understand. Please forgive me. This went a little bit long, but I needed to lay the groundwork. I needed to get these principles and these things out to you today. Do you understand that? If I've made some enemies today, God will take care of you. If I've made some friends today, then God's going to take care of our community and he's going to take care of us. And I promise you, I promise you this, that everything that comes into the storehouse comes under the oversight of God himself. And everything that we do is weighed very heavily with very good people who have dedicated themselves to watching over the finances of the church and the things that we do. But I promise you, Brother Cordell is gonna to continue to push and push. When those dollars come in and that money comes in, I'm gonna push, what can we do to reach people? What is it about outreach that we can do? What can we do to get to this community? I'm gonna push, I'm gonna squeeze those pennies. We got some people on our board that can, that can get more out of a turnip than I've ever seen in my life. But I believe that we can live richly and abundantly I believe that we could bring people into this house, let them feel God's presence, the Holy Ghost moving, not because we have money, but because our hearts are in the right place. Our hearts are of giving and kindness and love. See, it's about the heart. The altar's open today. I know this is a different type of a teaching and a different type of a thing, but if God has moved on your heart today, and you want to talk to him, and you want to ask him, what do you want me to do, God? What can I do? How do I fit in this role? Come down and talk to him. Get a hold of this. I'll be available all week. Any of you that want to call and challenge me or talk to me about the law and principles of the word, say, 
give as you will and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. Come on down and, and uh, get a hold of what God, God's got for you because he will richly bless you abundantly. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.